Last week, I encouraged you to be open and honest and vulnerable within a church community, here with your fellow believers. And so, did you do that? Okay, maybe that's a little unfair because it's only been a week, and so maybe you haven't had that much of an opportunity to do that. But let me ask you this, will you do that? Or have you done that? Or maybe this question, can you do that? You see, I know that to think about being really open and honest and to make yourself vulnerable with other people is hard. It's really hard because there's a chance that you might get let down or you might get hurt. In fact, you probably have before in your life. You, you probably have met people who said that they really cared about you, very well-intentioned people who said they cared very deeply for you. But then something happened and you know, it really felt like they didn't care. It really felt like it was a lie and you got let down, you got hurt. And, and maybe, maybe you also even feel the pressure to not let others down if we're going to be open and honest and vulnerable with one another. And I get it. No, you're right. Now, if you do that, there, there's a chance you could get hurt. And in fact, I'm going to tell you that it's not even just a chance, but there's probably likelihood that you will get chance. You will get hurt. It's probable that you might get let down. Because if we're doing this right, if, if we're really living together as a community of people, and we're not just people who come to a place or join online for a moment and a message and then we're done, but if we're actually living out that message, we're, we're living out God's message of grace and we are working together with it, we're serving for God's mission together with one another, and we're working and serving that closely with one another, then it's bound to happen. You know, someone will say something that they shouldn't have said. Or they'll forget to say something or not say something that they should have said. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I will probably let you down as your pastor. At some point, I will probably do something that lets you down, that maybe even hurts you. When I miss the, the fear and the sadness that's in your tired eyes, that you were really hoping that I would pick up on so that we could talk about it. Or if I miss that, that waver of confidence that's in your voice as we are talking, and you actually hoped I would detect it and ask you about it, Really ask how your life was going. Or maybe it'll be after you've spent an entire week in preparation to be involved and participate in our mission and our ministry, and I don't say thank you. And you feel underappreciated or ignored or neglected. And so there's a, 
a high likelihood that I might let you down. And certainly in those moments when we let one another down, there is opportunity for us to confess to one another. There's opportunity for us to grow in, in forgiveness. But I got to warn you, you know, to really join a Christian community, to be, be all in on it, it's dangerous. There is a target that you are placing on your back. Because there is an enemy who wants to drive us apart. There's an enemy that schemes to divide us. There's an enemy who would love to take that missed opportunity, that missed word of encouragement, that missed thanks. And he'd love to use it as a wedge that would drive you apart from your fellow believers drive you apart from your church, drive you away from your pastor, ultimately to drive you away from Christ. At the very end of our scripture reading, the Apostle Paul is going to say something. He's going to say that he hopes that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Satan schemes to drive us apart from one another. And Satan's schemes, they had taken the minds of the Christians in the city of Corinth, they had taken their minds off of what was really the, the main thing or should have been the main thing and taken their focus off of that to drive them apart from one another. And so this is what Paul wrote. He said, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. See, Paul defended his actions against those who questioned his sincerity and integrity. There were some in the, Christian, in the congregation in Corinth who felt that Paul had let them down because he had changed his plans. It's, Paul says, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Those were the plans that got changed. And he says, when I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? When he changed his plans, it had hurt some of them in that process. And when we let one another down, we might question the integrity and the sincerity of those around us. And again, there certainly is going to be room for us to confess, for us to forgive, to us to grow in love and forgiveness. But do you know what sometimes happens? Or maybe happens more often than that? We get frustrated. And we get angry. And we get bitter when people let us down. And then that, that bitterness, that leads us either to get revenge which widens the gap between us, or it leads us to avoid them altogether, which again widens the gap, drives us farther apart. 
And so Paul encouraged the Christians in Corinth, and he encourages us today to make sure that even when people let us down, even when we're feeling hurt, that we keep the main thing the main thing. Because the church is here to point you to the God who has never let you down. The God whose plans never changed, never get messed up. His plans are true and they are trustworthy. And that's where Paul tells us to put our focus. He said, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. God will never let you down. Now, human beings, we fail. Even human beings who carry the word of God, we can fail at times. But God himself, he never fails. And so when we speak of his promises and when we speak of his words, those never fail. Those are faithful. Those will never let you down. And so when we gather together, that's the main thing. So let's keep the main thing the main thing because that main thing, the gospel message of Jesus, that truly meets spiritual needs. Paul said, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We have the testimony It tells us that, yes, God Himself, Jesus, the very Son of God, He was on the cross and He died for our sins, for our forgiveness. We have the testimony that, yes, three days later when those women went out to the tomb and the stone had been rolled away and they peered inside, it was empty. Jesus had risen up from the grave. He had conquered death itself. And because of those two facts, Because of Jesus and what he has done, all of God's promises to you are true. You have so much confidence in the promises of God that you can even speak Greek. At least one word. You know that? We speak Greek here all the time. Amen. That's a Greek word. It's a little hard to translate it with one equivalent word in English. Sometimes we'll say it means, it shall be so. It really means, you know, it's true, it's truth. It's like if there was a a phrase written out on a piece of paper and there's those two boxes next to it and above one box there's a big letter T and above the other box there's a big letter F, true or false. Amen is, is confidently checking that true box. And so Paul tells you when you hear the promises of God, you speak Greek. Amen. True. Check that box. When God comes to you and he says to you, if you confess your sins to me, I'm faithful and just and I will purify you from all unrighteousness. And you think, did Jesus really die on the cross for me? For my sins? Amen. And when God comes to you and he says, I, I can comfort you, I can wipe away every single tear from your eyes, 
you, you think, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is he really alive? And you, Amen, check that box. And when God comes to you and he says, I work all things for your good, amen. When he says, I am still in control, amen. No matter what promise it is that God has given to you, you can mark that box confidently. Amen. It is true. And that's our foundation. That's, that's the main thing. And when we stand on that main thing, then even when others let us down, even when our fellow Christians let us down, we know those promises of God, they will never let us down. We speak our amen. They are true. Don't let Satan drive you away from the confidence you have in Christ. And then Paul gives us some of those promises. He goes on, he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And I love this point because as much as God works through our brothers and sisters, as much as he gives us a tremendous blessing in the people that he surrounds us with, we rely on God. It's God who strengthens our faith. It's God who makes us stand firm. And sometimes, yes, sometimes he does that as he works through the people around us and they encourage us and they strengthen us. But even outside of that, it's God we rely on. We don't rely on one another. We rely on God. And sometimes he'll work through our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes he'll work in spite of our brothers and sisters in Christ which means that you don't have to spite them. You don't have to avoid them when they let you down, when you feel hurt, but that we can work through it. We can rely on God. Our complete confidence is in Jesus. And there's three things that Paul tells us give us that confidence. Anointed, sealed, and guaranteed. Paul says he anointed us he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Throughout the history of God's Old Testament, people anointing was a big deal. They would take oil and they would pour it on someone's head and that was a sign and that was a symbol that God had chosen that person for a very special service under his divine direction. And when that person was anointed, then they received power and they received wisdom and sometimes they received majesty. God tells you, you are anointed. That you have been set apart by God for a special service under His divine direction. And we see this visibly and clearly in one form in baptism. When it's water that's poured on our heads, but there God sets us apart for his kingdom, sets us apart for his family. He declares to us that he is our father and we are his own dear children. You have been anointed. And you have been sealed. So much greater than like a Sharpie marker, but that's kind of the thing, right? You take a Sharpie and, and you write on something that belongs to you. You put your name that's what God means when he says he sealed you. In the ancient world, the, the seals, they were made out of, uh, maybe you'd have some, some damp clay and then you'd have an instrument that was maybe made out of rock or stone or wood and you'd roll that over that damp clay and it would put that impression in there, that sign and symbol of that person. 
And then they'd bake that clay and, and it would harden and it would be permanent. God has taken the damp clay of your body and He has rolled His sign and seal, the sign of the cross, the sign of the empty tomb. He has placed that on you to declare that you are His very own possession. That He loves you dearly. And He has given you the deposit of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. He has made that down payment so that whenever you see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, when you see your faith being strengthened, when you long for God, when you want to grow in your faith, those are all markers to you that the Spirit is at work. They're that guarantee of what is to come, the greater blessings from our God. All of those promises are the main thing of the Bible. And they are the main thing for the Christian church. And when we keep our eyes focused on that, when we, when we keep the main thing the main thing, then we can continue to move forward. And we can do the really, really hard work of living together in community. The really, really hard work that needed to be done in Corinth Paul said to them that it was in order to spare them that he did not visit them. Spare them from what? You look at what he says. He says, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. The Christians in Corinth, they had a deep internal conflict that needed to be resolved. There was a very public, very large sin that needed to be addressed in their congregation. And for a time, the person in that Sin, they were enslaved. They refused to admit it. They refused to turn away from it. And it was causing conflict. And so Paul desired that those Christians, they addressed that as a spiritual family so that when he arrived, it would be a joyous occasion for him. Corinthians had to live out their faith. Because one among them, he had forgotten that he was anointed. He had rejected the, the seal of God, his heavenly Father. He had turned away from that deposit that was placed in him, the Holy Spirit working in his heart. He had cast it out. He had refused the guarantee that God wanted to give. He no longer spoke his amen to the promises of God. And so that congregation, they had to do the really, really hard thing of loving him but with a love that hurts. A love that maybe even made him feel like they had let him down. Because it was a love that hurt because it needed to cut down the pride of his heart. It needed to tear down the walls that he had built against his God. We call it Christian discipline. Where we reach out to a brother and sister and we have to tell them your actions, your sins, they're putting you outside the kingdom of Christ and we don't want that for you. They needed to do that so that they could again emphasize the main thing, God's grace in Jesus. By God's grace, it worked. This man turned back to the Lord. He turned in confession and repentance and they were able to do that wonderful thing. Paul encouraged them, forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm 
your love for him. There's that joyful opportunity for them to once again point to those sure and certain promises of God. The promises that are true in Christ. And so they were not outwitted by Satan. Satan would love for us to cheapen God's grace by remaining persistent in willful sins, but he'd also love for us to go the other direction and withhold forgiveness to repentant sinners. But when they kept the main thing, the gospel, the main thing, they were able to do the hard work of honesty, but also the joyful work of forgiveness. And so, my brothers and sisters, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's keep those sure and certain promises of God the focus of our ministry and our lives. We can do the hard work of honesty with one another, but we'll also be able to do the joyful and beautiful work of forgiveness. Because all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. You ready to speak a little Greek with me? Amen. Amen. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.